God, you are just messing with me today. Hmm. It's good. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the light that shines in our darkness. Thank you that the, as we look backwards, that the amount of darkness is less in our life than it was ever before because the light is greater as it increases in its intensity in us. And God, we still have things going on in our lives that you're fully aware of. And yet your spotlight is on each one of us. Shining from within. Bringing healing. Bringing freedom from the thoughts and the lies that we've believed in the past that have been instilled in us by others over the years. Thank you that your love is steadfast and that we can anchor in knowing that you do not change. And so, God, we come wanting to hear what you have to say today. And so, Lord, may my words be your words. And even if they choose, somehow I misspeak that still the message goes deep that you have for each one regardless of my words. And we just thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. So, I want to talk about grace, and I want to take an objective look from God's perspective at grace today. What color do I want today? Red. So, Grace. Why do we keep coming back to grace? It's the only perspective because it's his perspective, right? And it's important to just keep coming back to it and re and re going over it and going over it and going over it and going over it because it's part of the breath of our life. And, okay, we're going to be difficult. I bet we got power. We got a battery problem, I think. Because I don't got no power in this device. But you know, this, this device may not have power, but our God is always have on power. He's always on. Just one. And because he's always on, and he's always got power, we can overcome these little obstacles of things like this. And there was a time when I wouldn't have been able to say that. <laughs> what do you mean there's no power? <laughs> oh, God, you're just messing with me. I don't know where this is going to go, but it's going to have to be good because I don't know where it's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got the power. See? See? <laughs> okay. What is grace? And this is where I put audience participation. 
And I want to look at grace not from what it means to me or you individually, but what does it mean from God's perspective towards humanity as a whole? You know what I'm talking about? Linda's kind of doing one of these bobblehead maybes. Norman just started this off. Number one, he said, it is finished. What's the it, Norman? What Jesus accomplished on the cross. Okay? Someone else, jump in, because I want to fill this page up. My word is truth. I'll, paraphr- I'll rephrase it as God's word is truth. Okay. I love that sound. I love you no matter what. Next. Unmerited favor. favor. What does that mean, Susan? Extreme favor. I like that. Anybody else? Remember your sins no more. place I am here with you okay say that again your faith is present in my truth. Okay. Join with me in we'll call it the dance of fellowship. Dance of fellowship. I'm almost to the end of this pad. This is the last sheet, so this, I can't do that until the next pad gets there. So, your worship stems from the of your worship 
stems from the bean of who I am. Is that is that the right word? No, that's not right. Oh, is it? Okay. Anybody else? I'm not saying you have to keep going, but I'm going to write until you until I get to the end of this page. Not having to perform. Okay. One more. Adopted. Yeah, we'll do it too. Accepted. Okay. So anybody hear anything new today? So far? Okay. We have this God who has enveloped this concept of grace. So it's important to know what grace is. And there are, as you can see there, we just listed 13 different aspects of it, and we could go on and on and on because we can never exhaust His grace. It is unlimited. That's a good word, Norman. Don Keithley says, Grace is everything that God did for us through the Son. Out of His unconditional love and His unmerited kindness to bring us into a loving relationship with Him. What's another word for loving relationship? Starts with a U and ends with an N. Union. You passed the test. We have a union, a relationship of union. And out of that relationship comes this unconditional love towards us. And most of us have yet to fully experience what that means. Most of us have a warped sense of love that God is reshaping. One of the things I was going to do today, I was going to actually show you a time lapse of a um, seed turning into a plant. But God wants me to hold that. So, But think about His unfolding love in the context of a seed growing. Grace is everything that God did for us through the Son. And what He did for us starts where? Where does it start? Before the foundation of the earth, before time started. And sometimes it's called eternity. Grace starts from before creation in eternity. And grace is a message of union. Go, woo-hoo! Grace is totally unilateral, initiated and completed by God. If you listen to the last two weeks, what does that mean? You did nothing. You didn't even have the wherewithal to believe until He gave you the wherewithal to believe. 
And you know what? He was happy to give it to you. Because he wants us in union. He's going to give us anything and everything that we need to get us into the fullness of union in this life. See, we have... mm, Wow, God, you really want me to go there? Okay. We have been indoctrinated that the fullness of life doesn't occur until after we're dead. But I got news for you. You died 2,000 years ago. (laughs) So you're already dead. So why not experience the fullness of life now? I'm soaking that one in. Hang on. And grace has manifested us by the person of Jesus Christ, who we call Emmanuel. What does that mean? What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. You know, if you were such an ugly creation, a stupid, worthless worm, why would God want to be with us? He wouldn't. If you are unredeemable, why would He care? to be lost before you can be found. But lost still means value, right? We talked about that in uh, Malcolm Smith's stuff. Lost still has value. Because if it didn't have value, you wouldn't even search for it. I mean, we got those free ink pens over there, and if we misplace one, no one's going to go looking for it. It was free. But there's also a bunch of other ones. (laughs) But Jesus looks and he counts the pens and he goes, oh, one's missing. I gotta go find him. He knows exactly how many pens are in that bin over there. Whether we do or not. He knows exactly how many of us exist. And grace is perfected by metanoia. All right, you Greek scholars, what's metanoia? Change your mind classically called Repentance by the Church. Now, I'm going to challenge you to read both the introduction in the mirror and I'm going to challenge you to read Understanding the Bible, which are in the beginning. Because you will find out if you read those, he talks about repentance. Repentance starts from the English root word, penance. What is penance? Comes from what? That comes from the Catholic religion. Yes. Comes from the Catholic religion, John. And what is penance about? Yes. Us doing something to pay for, for our behaviors and bad choices. And it came up in the Catholic Church about the time of you began to pay for your indulgences. You know how the Catholic Church, according to Francois, funded most of its cathedrals? It charged the noblemen for their... It charged them monies for their indulgences so they could go and sin and still make it into heaven. So what's repentance then? If penance is paying for your sins, what's repentance? Penance. Over and over and over. Nobody ever arrives. I have to take on the Eeyore mentality. Oh, 
God help me. I can never get it right. Why do we say that so many times? You guys, you guys got to repent. You got to repent. Because it's a misunderstanding that has been perpetuated. It started as an error, and it's been perpetuated as an error. But it made those bishops rich, yes. Unfortunately, the Bishop of Grace isn't one of them. But <laughs> but John, to answer your question, is it became the pattern of the church, and it became the indoctrination of the church. And it became part of that shift around 400 A.D. where we went from, from grace to change your mind to focusing on behavior. It was a shift from attitude changing to behaviors changing. And when you focus on behaviors, what do we know about the law if we focus on behavior? The law perpetuates bad behavior. Because the law is the purpose of the law is to tell us we need a savior. And so we develop a moral code based upon the law, which was do good, get good, do bad, get bad, and we park there. But that code was not intended for us. I thought about it. I was meditating on that this morning. How many of you are full Jewish blood? Oh, I don't see any hands. There's a part. Which part? Your ear? (laughs) But you see, that system of morality under the law was intended for the Jews. Let me find my prop back here. You know, I got all these props. I should number these props so I can find them from behind, right? You see, from the garden all the way to Mount Sinai, there was no law. All these people that were making poor choices were under grace. Because until the law came, there was no reference to sin. There was no manifestation of the knowledge of sin because it comes out of the law. Right? You'll find that if you read the introduction to Francois. It's in there. So when Cain killed Abel, he wasn't condemned by the law because the law was thousands of years later. That looked like an aha moment, Linda. When every single person who moved further and further and further away from the garden, their, their knowledge of God decreased, their blindness to God decreased, their understanding decreased, and all of a sudden they were in darkness. And then we get the flood because the darkness was so overwhelming that there were only a few left that understood God anymore. Prior to that, Enoch was taken up into heaven. The church would say, the traditional church would say, Enoch is a sinner. Right? Enoch is a sinner because Jesus hadn't come yet. So how does a sinner make it into heaven? There was, no, there was nothing to point out as sin, but the other, the other aspect is when Jesus went to the cross, he went past, present, future. And sometimes that sticks in our craw to think he went past and go, what do you mean he forgave? 
play the big one. He forgave Hitler? Well, he made it available for, to him. Sure he did. Forgave him of his sins. Doesn't mean Hitler didn't have consequences to his choices to, to annihilate people. But, oh my gosh, stand up and preach that in a traditional church. We might as well check into Pine Rest because they'll be coming at us. They'll think we're crazy, right? But you see, Enoch made it into heaven and God called him a friend. God called this guy who was born after the garden who the church says is, was awful, who was, uh, what's the phrase now? Gosh, Lord, I just forgot the phrase. Um, depraved. We're born into depra depravity. He's totally, completely depraved. There's nothing good about him, and yet he's in heaven and doesn't even go onto the cross. He never repented. He never changed his mind. You know why? Because just, he just knew God as, as best he could. And there was no standard to judge his knowledge by because the law hadn't come yet. In one sense, that's a mind-blowing concept. But it makes perfect sense when you understand grace. And those people in our lives that have hurt us the most, and I can give you a category from my life of those who have hurt me the most. What do you mean, God, you redeemed them? Because the law side of me goes, Bleh! because I was trained in the law. I wasn't born into the law, but I was trained into the law, as were all of us in this room. And so we go, but where's the justice? Jesus, yes. But we haven't been taught that traditionally. We've been taught do good, get good, do bad, get bad. And when we see people do bad that didn't get bad, well, God, where's the justice? That's just not fair. And then the Bishop of Grace has to stand up here and go, come on, guys, let's talk about the covenant. Right? It begins in eternity. What's eternity? Who's got a great concept of eternity in this room? <laughs> what did you used to think it was, Linda? After death. After death. Now it's before time began. Anybody else? Concepts of Eternity by Douglas Estes. He says, Seeing the word eternity may conjure up the image of an outstretched horizon receding as far as we can see or a type of heavenly realm an elysian plain with warm sun and cloudless skies wouldn't you like to just be in this plain of warm sun and cloudless skies hopefully there's some shade however eternity is actually a complex idea that relates to how people understand god and their place in the universe in the legalistic form of Christianity we really don't find much of a place in God till we're in we pass from the natural into the eternal into the heavenly realm always looking for the second coming the rapture always saying tomorrow in eternity you know like the Jews used to say tomorrow in Jerusalem tomorrow in eternity always deferring to the future. Instead of living life now with joy and peace the best we can as God reveals more and more to us, oh, I have to endure today. 
God, help me endure today. Let no one cut me off so I won't flip them off. Isn't that true? We, we see ourselves lacking. We see ourselves as not yet arrived. We see ourselves not yet into the fullness of who Christ intended us to be. And we're always looking for tomorrow. And we're always looking for tomorrow. And that's hope for tomorrow. That's hope deferred. And what does Scripture say about hope deferred? Makes the heart sick. Concepts of eternity are rooted in how people perceive time. This is the same guy. Especially as it relates to God's interaction with time. And there are essentially two options. God is temporal, meaning that he exists in time. And God is atemporal, meaning that he exists apart from time. Because of the difficulty of describing eternity in human language, the Bible seems to hint at both of these options. For example, the psalmist depicts God as a living and innumerable number of days and contrast God's life with the brevity of a person's life. So what he's saying here is it's really both. God is in the now of our time, but he's also outside of our time. And then because he's outside of our time, he sees our time in one view. Quantum physics. And we can't get our head around that. Because we're, one, we're not God, but two, he hasn't revealed the fullness of that mystery yet, but he's beginning to. So he's in our time, but he's also out of our time. And because he's out of our time, he sees 10 years down the road in our time and comes back to our now and goes, turn here. Right? Think about this. Change your mind. Don't run to the altar and begging, screaming, and hollering. Follow my lead. Because he's here. He's in us. Is part of spirit to spirit, which is really an eternal revelation, an eternity revelation. But he's also in the natural, where he does healing. And he does setting people free. And he makes provision because he's Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's, Je- he's the Lord, my defender. On and on and on. And I was thinking about that this morning. Because I can remember, even under the legal days of my life, when I would go, God, I screwed something up today. Would you lead me or help me or would you fix it? And he would reveal something. That came from somewhere. came from deep within. But he also is able to tell, you, tell us how to fix some things that we may have strayed in or screwed up in the natural. He can say, you know, that wasn't the best choice, but let's go this way. Why? Because he sees 10 years down the road. And so anything that we're going through right now, he's not separated from. He's in the midst of us, therefore he's in the midst of that. I missed that, John. Was that good? Yes, for such a time as this. Similarly, God seems to exist in time when he does human-like things such as change his intentions and dwell among people in the incarnation. Oh, wow. In contrast, the Bible also depicts God as apart from creation and therefore outside of time. New Testament books such as John afford Jesus a divine temporality as a function of his divinity. Oh, wait a minute. Divine function. Oh, wait a minute. 
God, man, man, God. Out of eternity, into the now, back into eternity, but still in the now, because he's in us. We are not separated from him, right? So if we're here, he must be here. But yet he's also seated at the right hand of the Father, where we too are seated at the right hand. If we can just begin to understand that, that we're not separated, that he's here now, he's going, John, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best, you're the best. And you married well. Change attitudes, what? Changed attitudes aid recovery. What's a changed attitude? It's a changing of the mind. It's a metanoia. In Isaiah 57, 15, out of the Revised Standard Version, it says, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is a prophetic statement of Isaiah saying, God in eternity is coming into the now of man, to the timeline of man. And what's he going to do? He's going to revive us. Right? Revive us from what? A blinded eye, a blinded spirit, a blinded mind. And you were going to say? From the law? Yeah. Because what does the law do? It blinds us. It tells us the need for our Savior, but it blinds us to the truth, to the rest of it, because it's incapable of delivering us into the fullness of freedom. The law cannot deliver you into freedom. It can only tell you you need to be delivered into freedom and that the one to do it is Jesus. And so he's coming, connecting in our heart Where's our heart? Right here. I got a good size one. Isaiah 43, 13, out of the New Living Translation. From eternity to eternity, I am God. Eternity past, eternity present, eternity future. I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. Oh, this is before the cross. What has he done at this point? He created you. He created humanity and called humanity what? Very good. He calls us very good. No one can undo what he's done. He calls you very good. No one can undo that. So why do we listen to that lie? No one can can be snatched out of his hand. Don't we hear that later in the New Testament as well? Don't we hear in the New Testament that those whom the Father has given him can never be taken away? Are you one that the Father has given to him? Yeah. So... Do we really have to run to the altar every other Sunday or five times on Monday? Oh, that was a joke. You guys missed it. 
Bad joke, strike that. Let me rephrase that. Do we have to run to the altar every time our conscience gets shaky? No. Can we rest in the assurance that from eternity to eternity He's God and no one can snatch you from Him? Which means the devil can't do anything to take you away from Him. You don't belong to the devil. Acts 15, 18. Known to God from eternity are all His works. If you listened to the last couple weeks, when were you first known to God? Before the foundations of the universe. In eternity. When was Jesus crucified? Before the foundations of the universe. It was completed before He said, let there be light. But man, we have been hoodwinked. I should get a hood that I can put on my face that has a winking eye. (laughs) I figure if God's messing with me, i got to mess with you, right? (laughs) Ecclesiastes. We don't quote Ecclesiastes very often because that really is the Eeyore book. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Whoa, such a time as this. Who's beautiful? We are. Even if I don't feel it, I'm still beautiful. And even if the church says, I'm a worm, I'm still beautiful. I'm the best looking worm they'll ever see. (laughs) He has planted eternity in the human heart. Remember I talked about the last time I think I I taught that intuitively man knows there's a God? Why? Because he's planted eternity in our heart. And eternity is him. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to the end. Why? Because we're not in eternity. Just because we can't see it doesn't negate it. Just because I don't know something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I've not met all of Greg's grandchildren. But I know they exist because he's told me so. So if I had to depend on my meeting them before I believed him, I wouldn't be a friend of his then. Right? Because I trust him. 2 Timothy 1.9 I'm giving you different references, different uh, versions. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling? Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ, Jesus, from all eternity. Who's done that? Who saved us? God through Jesus. And look at Ephesians 1 4 out of the NASB. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before God. What did you do before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless? Zero, nada, nothing. So why do you have to do something today? You don't. And there isn't a person in this room who hasn't spent time in a church that said, oh yes you do. You've got to be in church every time the doors are open. Right? Ladies, i got bad news. If you're wearing makeup, you're going to hell. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, guys, by the way, if you're not circumcised, you missed it. How would you like to have been Abraham at 75 and been circumcised? I think I would have screamed and hollered. (laughs) 
So who is this God who talks about eternity? Isn't that what we want to know? What is eternal life? To know God and the Son whom He sent. That's what John tells us. So who is this God? T.F. Torrance in his book, The Christian Doctrine of God, drives home the truth that we know God in Jesus, His Son. Surely, Jesus told Philip, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And to this point, Torrance writes, what God is in eternity, Jesus Christ is in space and time. So when Jesus' incarnational event took place and he lived from birth, well, from conception to resurrection, that's who God is. If we see Jesus in that time span, we see the Father. There is an unbroken relation of being and action between the Son and the Father, and in Jesus Christ, that relation has been embodied in our human existence once for all. When Jesus became man, He brought the revelation of the Father to us. And there is thus no God behind the back of Jesus Christ, but only this God whose face we see, we've seen in the face of the Lord Jesus. We've all had a revelation of Jesus. Some have had more revelation because of walking the path of grace. Some have had less because of walking the path of the law. And some have been ping pong balls walking with a mixed message. Back and forth, back and forth. Linda. Jesus tells us in the book of John that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he says... I am in the Father, the Father is in me, and I am in you, therefore the Father is in you. Okay, I get all that. Okay. When we look at Jesus, when we are intentional about focusing on Jesus, the Jesus who Paul talks about, specifically, supplemented with who James and John and Peter talk about, when you look at him from that objective perspective of how he has related to humanity, that's how the Father relates to humanity. So let me give you an example. You don't see one place where Jesus smites someone dead. That's not the Father's heart. But you do see places where Jesus is healing those who are oppressed to the devil. That's the Father's heart. That's the heart towards us. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and what I do, you will do. So as we focus on him, as we experience Him, manifested in us by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is constantly revealing Jesus to us. Okay? And as He reveals Jesus to us, and we put it through the lens of grace, we get a pure picture of who the Father is. Does that help? Yes. Well, He, he did. It became real. It came up from the spirit into the mind. The bucket just went up. Greg. Jesus is in the Father. And we are in Jesus, we're in the Father. So when we look at Jesus, we see a mirror of ourselves. Correct. Of what we are supposed to look like. Correct. And that's what Francois talks about in the introduction and in the uh, discussion on the... the, um, on the, the, the Bible itself, 
Francois talks about, and I really encourage you to read his discussion on the Bible, because he talks about how many of the translations are so distorted that they've lost the reality of who God is. Okay, there's certain verses in certain translations that people made up, to be honest with you. There are certain verses in certain translations where they took the word metanoia, they changed it to repentance, okay, because it was easier for them to justify existence by us having to do something than to totally trust and rely on God to reveal himself to us. That's the, I think that's as best I can tell you right now, Linda. An excerpt from The Shack Revisited. Greg's reading The Shack Revisited, as I think, as I recall. And Baxter, this is Baxter Kruger. From all eternity, God is not alone and solitary, but lives as Father, Son, and Spirit in a rich and glorious and abounding fellowship with utter oneness. We call that perichoresis. God is three, but utterly one. Three so united there's no division in their heart of unity. Total unity. Total unity cemented by what? Love. We are married to the Lamb. We are married to the Son of God in a love relationship that cannot be broken. And, and probably every one of us in this room has experienced a broken love relationship in the natural. We cannot transfer that to God, though. Because He never leaves us, never forsakes us. And so there's this unity, and there is no emptiness in this circle, no depression of fear, depression or fear or insecurity. The Trinitarian life is a great dance of unchained communion and intimacy fired by passionate, self-giving, and other-centered love and mutual delight. This life is good. This is kind of how it went in eternity. This is Terry's version. The Trinitarian circle is in a huddle. Man, we've got so much love. We've just got to express it. I know. Let's create a being that we can share it with. Not looking to get anything back, but just looking to pour out because we just got to pour it out because we're going to burst if we don't pour it out. But we can't burst because we're God, so we got to create so we can pour it out. And they go, let's create man. Oh, but by the way, this man has to have the capacity to be able to love us, not forced because that would be slavery. Oh, I love you, Master. No, 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 no the capacity to choose to love or not to love. And by the way, they're going to make bad choices. They're not going to get it the first time around. And Jesus goes, I know they're not going to get it. I'm already planning to die. By the way, I just put myself on the cross. Now let's create them. Bam. Let there be light. You may, sir. Yes. We were brought in and we become part of it. We're totally encapsulated 
And the great deception is you have to make a choice for Jesus before you can be part of it. No, Jesus already made the choice for you. So you're already a part of it by his declaration. I like that, Greg. It's like the amoeba. Yeah, cool. It is right, unique, full of music and joy, blessedness and peace. That's what this loving circle relationship is that we have been lifted into. Our spirit is in that relationship right now. Our soul is in that relationship right now. Our body is in that relationship right now. But we have disconnected soul from body from spirit. Yeah, spirit from soul from body. We disconnected that in the natural. And we look at them as three separate things. But they're not. And Norman's going to teach on that in a couple weeks. So, such love giving rise to such togetherness and fellowship and oneness is the womb of the universe and of humanity within it. The womb was not your mother's. She was just the package deliverer. You were birthed in heaven. And it doesn't matter how tough this life has been, or maybe in the future, we were birthed in heaven. And the devil says, oh, just curl up in a corner and die. No, I was birthed in heaven. I'm part of this joy, and I may not be feeling it at the moment, but by golly, I'm going to feel it before my physical death. Baxter goes on to say, the stunning truth is that this triune God in amazing and lavish love determined to open the circle and share the Trinitarian life with others. God made this choice. This is one eternal and abiding reason for the creation of the world and of human life. There is no other God, no other will of God, no second plan, no hidden agenda for human beings. Jesus was not plan B. He was plan A from the beginning of time. Before the creation of the world, the Father, Son, and Spirit set their love upon us and planned to bring us to share and know and experience the Trinitarian life itself. Who's responsible for revealing the Trinitarian life to us? Holy Spirit. So, when we leave here, Holy Spirit, give it to me, man. I want it. I want to experience it. Unto this end, the cosmos was called into being. And the human race was fashioned. And Adam and Eve were given a place in the coming of Jesus. You know, without Adam, Jesus wouldn't have manifested. Adam had to make a bad choice for Jesus to manifest. And Jesus knew it before he created the world. Adam gets a bum rap. I'm gonna, when I've heard this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Adam, what the H were you thinking? Well, I wasn't thinking. I was part of the plan. (laughs) Oh, gosh, where am I? In in and through him, whom the dream of our adoption would be accomplished. But for Adam and Eve, we wouldn't have been adopted into the circle. We wouldn't have manifested into the circle. So maybe we ought to retrain our mind to go, when I get to heaven, say, thank you, Adam. Ooh, that's a radical shift. Yeah, 
Before creation, it was decided that the sun would cross every chasm between the triune God and humanity and establish a real and abiding relationship with us called union. Jesus was predestined to be the mediator, the one in in and through whom the very life of the triune God would enter human existence and human existence would be lifted up to share in the Trinitarian life. It's time for humanity to get out of the dirt. Do you know why there is so much confusion in the stuff out there in our politics and in our world and all of this political correctness and this person yelling at that person and that person yelling at this person? They've taken their eye off of God. When Adam and Eve rebelled, ushering in chaos and misery into God's creation, the Father, Son, and Spirit never abandoned their dream but wonderfully incorporated darkness and sin into the tapestry of the coming incarnation. So from the transgression to the birth of Jesus and the incarnation, God took all that darkness and formed it into how Jesus was going to fully manifest. What do I mean by that? He had to experience everything we've experienced to be fully man, right? If Jesus never experienced hunger, how could he be fully man? If Jesus never experienced thirst, how could he take our place if we have experienced thirst? If Jesus never experienced betrayal, how could we trust if he knows how I feel when I have been betrayed? See, from transgression to the birth in the cross he had to experience everything we've experienced so god is lining up all of this darkness and it's getting progressively darker post post garden it's getting progressively darker and so every single thing that has manifested in the life of humanity in darkness at the cross went upon him and he experienced it all He literally has experienced everything you have gone through and will go through. That's why we can trust that he's with us and have confidence that he's here with us, that he's not out here, but he's in us now because he's experienced it. Is this making any sense? Is it helping? As the Father's Son became human and as he submitted himself to bear our anger and our bizarre blindness, And as he gave himself to suffer a murderous death at our hands, he established a real and abiding relationship with fallen humanity at our very worst. And he brought his Father and the Holy Spirit with him. Who was at the cross with him? Father and Holy Spirit. God the Father could not have turned his back on Jesus because it would have tore the fabric of the Trinity. And it would have destroyed the universe. Because Jesus, as God, sustains the universe by the word of his power. See, we were told God looked away from Jesus. Oh my, oh Holy Spirit, do you see that ugliness? I can't look at that anymore. No, he was right there with him. To do otherwise would have broken the Trinity. So it was in Jesus himself and in his death, at our bitter hands that the Trinitarian life of God pitched its tent in our hell on earth. 
thereby uniting all that the Father, Son, and the Spirit share with all that we are in our brokenness, shame, and sin called adoption. God is not embarrassed by our brokenness. He's not embarrassed by shame. And He's not embarrassed by sin. It's, he's not repulsed by it. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. I've adopted you. You're in my circle. Now let me pour my healing on you. Let me help you with your brokenness. Let me shed light into the causations of some of your brokenness so that you can be free. In the life and death of Jesus, the Holy Spirit made his way into human pain and blindness. Inside our broken inner worlds, the Spirit works to reveal Jesus in us so that we can meet Jesus himself in our own sin and shame and begin to see what Jesus sees and know his Father within. We don't have to confess every single sinful act we've ever done or every negative thought we've ever had for him to be in us and work in us. Why? Because it's not a moral code. It's a union. It's a relationship. I am sure that in my history with Greg, I probably have said a couple things that he's gone tilt over, and yet we're still friends because we're in relationship. And I thought about this this morning. In our human brokenness, we oftentimes think it's easier to cut and run from our circumstances. The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence until you get over there and you have to mow that grass. Then it doesn't look so green anymore. Right where we're at right now is the plum choice spot where God is working at us and meeting us and relating to us. He's not asking us to fix anything. He says, let me do it for you. As the Spirit works, we are summoned to the side to take sides with Jesus against our own darkness and prejudice and take simple steps to trust and change. Trust and metanoia. Simple steps. What do I do to, when, I, when, I say, when I say simple steps? What do I mean? I'm going to be intentional about looking at Jesus. I'm going to be intentional at looking at the grace that Paul talked about because it's in the grace that Paul teaches, the pure grace message, that our freedom comes to the fullest. Now, when I was walking in a mixed message, I had some good days. But I also had more bad days than I, than I have today. Why? Because I was messed up and I would make even worse choices than I do today. This is still Baxter Kruger. As we do Jesus' own anointing with the Spirit, His own fellowship with His Father is His own unearthly assurance his own freedom and joy and the power in the Spirit begin to form in us. While not diminishing, but augmenting and freeing our own uniqueness as persons. The Spirit's passion is to bring His anointing of Jesus to full and personal and abiding expression in us as unique persons. God is not asking you to give up your uniqueness. He's asking you to join in His uniqueness, in His circle, but still be you. That used to trouble me. I used to think if I have to give up everything for Jesus, I would lose my own identity. Who would I be then? He's not saying, 
lose yourself. He's saying, join me as yourself. So, grace is a message of union. Francois Dutois in the Mirror Bible. I'm going to cover just a couple more slides and then we're going to quit. Man began in God. That's where we center. We don't center in, I began in my mother's womb. Because the minute I center in my mother's womb as my beginning, I've now centered in time, not in eternity. You are the greatest idea that God has ever had. High five yourself. You can clap. Go ahead. You are the greatest idea that God has ever had, and that's on page 21. I dare you to read it. Flesh was designed to recognize God. This body recognizes God. It's on page 14. When God imagined you, He imagined a being whose intimate friendship would intrigue Him for eternity. Oh my gosh. You intrigue God. Not just now, but for all eternity, you're going to intrigue Him. Mankind would be partner in God's triune oneness. His image and likeness would be unmasked in human life. That's the original plan. Page 21. Read it for yourself. The mission of Jesus was not to begin the Christian religion. His mandate was to reveal and redeem the image and likeness of God in human form. Page 15. And, and oh, that's supposed to be Second Thessalonians 2.19. We expect nothing less in the context of the gospel than you enjoying a face-to-face encounter in the immediate presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is our delight and wreath of honor. I think that's sec, uh, first, Second Thessalonians, but it may be first. Someone check that for me if you would. You are supposed to have a face-to-face encounter. And you've got to check it in the mirror because that came out of the mirror. Face-to-face encounter with Jesus in present reality. We're wired for that. Do we expect that? I think this is where I'm going to stop for today. We're going to come, we'll start there and we'll move, we'll move on from God's perspective next week. Has to be first. Okay, thank you, Norman. That was First Thessalonians then. Let me summarize it this way. Part of the reason God wants us to look at it from our perspective or his perspective and not ours is because metanoia needs to take place. Too much has has come to the church where we're looking at God and we are defining him. We are defining grace. We are defining relationship. And he goes, No, I do that. Turn to my understanding to enhance your understanding. That make sense? So, what'd you get out of this? Talk to me. Come on, talk to me, guys. That's why we keep going over this. Because there's always an expression that pops when we least expect it. 